Got a question for you? Just think about it to yourself. Don't, you don't need to answer it. Do Christians have a sinful nature? Do Christians have a sinful nature? I know Christians still sin. Does that mean that they still have a sinful nature? See, many believers would have a very difficult time giving an absolute yes or no answer to that. And that is a shame. The question is, is your identity in Adam? Is your identity in Christ? Or is your identity a little hodgepodge mixture of a little bit of Adam, a little bit of Christ? A lot of people can't answer that question. Do we have dueling natures, this war inside us that's always battling? You know the little angel on this side and the, and the devil on this side? The old me and the new me? See, most believers are under the grand deception that has been propagated by the devil and man-made religion. That we have a dueling nature that is in war with us. So evidently, we're not more than conquerors. Right? I thought it says that we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. But if we're at war inside ourselves, we haven't conquered anything. You ever wonder what a, a, a more than a conqueror is? This is just a side note. Because I was, what is more than a conqueror? I understand you're conquering, but now what's more than a conquering? Then this is the best imagery that I've ever had. How many people have ever watched Rocky? Right? Rocky, he got in the fight. Right? He's in there. Which, Rocky three, that's probably the best one. It's Mr. T. Right? And, and he, he's, he's battling it out. And it looks like he's going to go down, but he comes back and he, it, it, he finally knocks Mr. T out and he's bruised, eyes sealed shut, cut me mick. Remember all that? Blood coming out. Terrible. And he was the conqueror, right? And what does he yell out? Adrian! She's more than a conqueror because he fought the battle she gets the paycheck. And in Christ Jesus, you are more than a conqueror. Jesus Christ fought the battle, and you get all the benefits. The good nature that is of God and this old sinful nature that we have to crucify, that's how a lot of, a lot of believers believe, that we have this good nature that's from God, and then we still have this old sinful nature that we have to crucify, that we have to bring under subjection, that we have to die to daily. Sound familiar? It seems that many descri describe the believer as some kind of Frankenstein monster, parts and pieces. That is not completely good, and it's not completely bad, but it's a mixture of the old sinful nature and the, a Christian trying to be good. We have a yin-yang gospel. Does everybody know what a yin-yang is? It's a symbol. It's round. It's got a little swoosh that way and a little swoosh this way and a little dot in it. And one swoosh is black and one swoosh is white. And there's a little white dot in the black and a little black dot in the white. Well, Chad, that sounds New Age. That's, that sounds pagan. That sounds Middle Eastern. Yeah, it is, and Christians believe that. What do you mean? Well, Christians believe that 
There's a little, the white represents good, the black represents evil, and in the black there's a little bit of white, and in the white there's a little bit of black. There's a little bit of good in a Christian, or there's a, a lot of good in Christian, but there's still a little bit of black. There's a little darkness in a Christian. And in the world, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of black, a lot of darkness, but there's a little bit of good in them. By whose standard? By the standard of men, the standard of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, there might be good in them, but not by God's standard. God's standard is Jesus. And does Jesus have any black in him? No. He's all white. He's all light. There's no darkness in him at all. There's no darkness, no shadow of turning. You can go all around and you can't even find a shadow because there's no, there's no, the, the light of the Lord just radiates everywhere, the glory of God. We do not have a yin-yang gospel. And that Christians think this way. We think that it's the... I've heard people talk about this. You got the black wolf and you got the white wolf. I've seen it even on Facebook. What are they called? Memes or whatever? It's an Indian thing. You, get, you got the black wolf and you got the white wolf. And our job is to starve the black wolf and to feed the white wolf. Oh, that sounds so good, doesn't it? That's not the gospel, but that's what Christians think. I got to work on being good and starve the evil that's in me. You need to get born again. With such confusion and such a foundational, foundational doctrine, is it any wonder that we're not walking in our true identity? Is it any wonder that we're not seeing victory in our lives? This, the, this, this deception, this deception of our identity weakens us. It makes us more vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. What do you mean by that? It means I deserve it. I, I, got, I, did, I did bad stuff. I'm, I must be evil. There must be, there's a bad part of me. I deserve punishment. You do. You deserve punishment. Then what, was Je- what did Jesus accomplish? He ke- it keeps us in this fog of confusion so that we accept anything that the enemy brings our way. It keeps us sitting in a prison. Does this sound familiar this morning? The Lord got you primed for this. In a prison with the doors that the doors ha- were removed completely from the hinges. That means the door can't even be shut anymore. It's gone. The door's gone. But because we don't know our true identity, because we don't understand who we are in Christ Jesus, because we don't understand the good news of the gospel, we sit in our prison cells. It shackles us to condemnation and weakens our fellowship with the Father. We feel unworthy. We feel unqualified. We, we feel like, how can I ever go to God? When the Bible says, we heard it this morning, come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy and grace in your time of need. One of the most perplexing questions that Christians secretly ask themselves. We don't, we don't talk about this out loud unless we get caught. The question that we ask ourselves is, will I ever be free from sin? Will I ever be free from sin? Some say one day. 
in the sweet by and by, you know, when they shut the casket, I'm finally free from sin. But until that day, I'll just pick up my cross. I'll crucify myself daily. I'll just die to myself constantly. You don't understand the gospel. So we're going to start off real quick. We're going to answer that question forever for you. Will you ever be free from sin? We're going to put that question to bed right off the bat. So will you? Will you ever be free from sin? We heard this a little bit this morning too. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 33, it says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him. So he's, talk, he's talking to believers here. He's not talking to the scribes, the Pharisees, those that are trying to kill him. He's not talking to, to the Gentiles. He's talking to those that believed in Jesus. And Jesus is talking to him, and he says, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone, which is, which is crazy because they were under Roman captivity as they were saying this. He, he goes, we are Abraham's descendants and, I, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly. So Jesus is telling the truth here. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. I know, Chad, I'm a slave to sin. I want to know, will I ever be set free? The slave does not remain in the house forever. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm going to lose my salvation. I'm not going to go to heaven, and, and I can't experience the promises of God. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Are you born again this morning? Will you ever be free from sin? When were you freed from sin? Amen. As you sit here right now, you are free from sin. Well, Chad, why, do I can't, why, why does it feel like I'm not free? Because you don't believe it. You've been told all your life that you have this other nature in you, that, you, that you'll always be fighting. You'll always, you, there's no freedom. You're not more than a conqueror. Jesus really hasn't done nothing but got you out of hell. And that is by the skin of your teeth. And only if you make sure that you confess your sins before you die. Every single one. And the Bible says that he that <laughs> knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So it's not only the bad things you do, but it's the good things that you don't do. Wow. Wow. Thank God that the Son has set me free. It's not by the works that I've done. It's not by my hard religious activity. It's by the finished work. The gospel of Jesus Christ has set me free forever from sin. Well, Ted, why do I still sin? That's a good question. Ask yourself that constantly. Why am I still sinning? If I'm set free, if I'm a child of God, if I got the Spirit of God living within me, if I am walked out of the prison cell, why do I still sin? That's stupid. That's foolish. Why would I act like a sinner when I'm a saint? And truth of the matter is most of the things that you think are sin really aren't sin.
They're a bunch of man-made religion. You know, Jesus, he had premeditated assault and battery. He sat, ready to whip, went into the temple and beat people. We don't hear that Jesus preach very often. We have been set free. For all eternity, you have been set free. As you sit in these pews right now, you are free from sin. Stop believing the lie. Stop believing the, de the, the uh, deception. You are free. We have been set free. We have been united with Christ. No longer slaves, but sons and daughters. So let's now, let's build on this truth and let faith come by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. Do we still have a sinful nature? Maybe our, 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 we're born again but, and we've been set free, but we still have to fight against our old sinful nature. Well, God uses the most interesting imagery to answer this question if you still have an old sinful nature. It's found both in the Old and the New Testaments. It contains rich, symbolic imagery and a beautiful shadow of Christ. We are Karis New Testament Church, and a lot of people think that we're a New Testament church because we only preach from the New Testament. No, it has nothing to do with the dividing of a book Old and New Testament, it has to do with the covenant. It has to do, we are in the new covenant, not in the old covenant. And a lot of Christians mix the two covenants together. Some people think we never preach from the Old Testament. We preach from the Old Testament, but we don't preach it as being in that covenant. We preach at looking forward into what Christ is about to do or was coming to do. Right? The Old Testament is Jesus hidden, concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. And there's this rich symbolic imagery in the Old Testament that is revealed in the New Testament. And it's unfortunate, but it's never discussed in church. I, I can't ever remember a message preached that I heard from somebody else on this topic. Even though it contains the revelation it contains the revelation needed to set you free from sin in your old Adamic nature. So do you want to know what this is? Do you want to know what this symbolism that, that clearly describes that you no longer has a sinful nature? No? Are we sleeping? You want to know? Circumcision. Which I thought, I thought I'd get that response. Circumcision. It's in the Bible, right? Don't you think we should find out why it's in there? It's amazing. Who, who thought this thing up? Who thought up circumcision? God. This was God's idea. Why did God, God come up with this idea of circumcision? What does it represent? Why is it in there? We're going to find out today. Here's where it all started in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 10, it says, This is my covenant, which you shall keep. 
between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Verse 14. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of the, his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He will be circumcised from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now again, we are in the New Testament. So this morning, if you're not, don't bring, come under condemnation by reading this. This was all foreshadowing what the true circumcision is all about. Amen. So I want you to think about this. Here's Abram. No kids, nothing. He's getting up there in age, and he's up in the mountain, and he's meeting with God, and he's talking with God. And he comes down from the mountain, and he's kind of skipping along and got his head down, and he comes up to gathers all his people around him, his servants, everyone. And he says, from now on, God wants you to call me Abraham. What? Meaning, father of a multitude. And they start whispering, this guy, he doesn't even have kids. And he's going to be a father of a multitude? He, he, he might have been up there a little too long. And, that's not it. As a sign of a covenant between us and God, all the males need to be circumcised. I can just picture them. What? I'll call you Abraham, but, you know, God's going to have to show up to me and he's going to have to, he's going to have to tell me about this little circumcision thing. You can't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. He, he, he planned this. He, pre, he predestined. He had this plan from the beginning of time. God has an awesome sense of humor. It's pretty, hey, if you can't laugh, you need to get born again. Because it's, it's, you think this is tough. I had to sit down and, and pray and think upon and get a revelation of circumcision. How would you like to have to do that? You know, as funny as it is, though, it's a beautiful picture of the new creation. It's a beautiful picture of the new creation, the genesis of our true identity that was in Christ from the foundation of the world. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Here's the amplified version of this. I get I to continue to move. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands, but in a, in a spiritual circumcision performed by Christ by stripping off the body of the flesh 
the whole corrupt carnal nature with its passions and lusts. Thus you were circumcised when you were buried with him in your baptism in which you were also raised with him to a new life through your faith in the working of God as displayed when he raised him up from the dead. You're going to see a phrase quite often as we go through this series, baptism, baptism. And again, what's, because of religion, because of man-made religion, you're going to, your mind is automatically going to tilt to water baptism. Again, water baptism is just, like circumcision, it's just an outward sign of an inward work, right? Baptize, baptizo, um, actually um, the word isn't translated in our Bibles. That's the original Greek, baptize, baptism. Why? Because they didn't want to call John the dunker. He was John the Baptist. It actually means to dunk. It means to submerge. It, mean, it actually was a term when they used to dye garments. So when you dyed a garment, you had a white piece of garment, and you baptized it into the dye. And when you pulled it out of the dye, the dye was in the garment, and the garment was in the dye. You couldn't separate the two. It was baptized into each other. And that's the beautiful sim- symbolism of baptism. You have been baptized, submerged into Christ. So when we read the word baptism, and it's clearly not talking about um, John the Baptist or baptizing someone in water, always picture that submerging into Christ. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 12 Um, It said, we were buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So verse 12, it tells us how God did what he did. He did it by baptizing us, spiritually putting us into Christ, who? All humanity. All humanity. Christ doesn't go and get crucified over and over again every time someone gets saved. Everybody's sins are forgiven 2,000 years ago at the cross. Actually, they were forgiven from the foundation of the earth because God had this redemption plan from the very beginning. And by us putting our faith into that finished work and appropriating, we get to, we get to live in all the beautiful benefits of the work of Christ. So we were baptized. Humanity was baptized put into Christ on that cross. I mean, that was a beautiful picture. When John the Baptist was, was baptizing people and Jesus came walking along the Jordan and he's seen all these people crying out for forgiveness, repentance, wanting to be cleansed from their sin. And Jesus seen the people wanting to be cleansed from the sins and he says, baptize me. Baptize me. And John says, I don't need to baptize you. You, I, need, I, I need to be baptized by you. I, I'm not even worthy to unlatch your sandals. And you come to me? And Jesus says, it is, it is right. What was Jesus saying? Why did Jesus get baptized? He's seen humanity, and he was declaring, I, I have come in the flesh, and I will be baptized for you. I will taste death for you. I will take the wages of sin for you. Baptize me as a baptism of humanity. And now we are not baptized. Listen to me. You are not baptized for the forgiveness of sins. 
You are baptized. When you are baptized, when you go down in the water, that is not the symbolism of wanting to repent from my sins and being cleansed from my sins. No, Jesus did that baptism. It's a baptism of you declaring that I am now in Christ and Christ is in me. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. We were, we were united. We were baptized with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, referring to us being born again. Verse 11, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 11 tells us what happened in this transi- transition, transaction. Our old sinful nature was circumcised. It was cut off, put off, removed. The body of sins of the flesh. Circumcision made with hands. Does everybody know what it means? I mean, I could, we could get on Google, probably could find something on what the circumcision made with hands is referring to. In case, in case you don't know, don't worry, I, I, I talked this stuff over with Amanda, and I might be pushing the envelope a little bit, but uh, she, she reined me in, so you, you guys are lucky. You're lucky you got her. So just in case, circumc- circumcision made with hands is the cutting away of the foreskin and discarding it. So what happens to the foreskin when it's removed? It dries up, it shrivels up, right? It rots. It dies. It has no life left in it, right? It's never going to retach, right? Circumcision made without hands. See, this is where people really don't know or they haven't been taught. The circumcision made without hands It's to cut off the sinful nature, the body of sin, and to throw it away. To throw it away. Now, I had to think about this. I had to think about the symbolism because it's clearly in the Bible. It was a plan from God. I mean, it's part of the Abrahamic covenant that we were um, baptized into through Christ. So I had to think about this. And like I said, a man had to pull me back. I couldn't. But there's great revelation if you think about it. So I'm not going to talk about the circumcision made with hands. I'm going to give you what it looks like in the spirit made without hands. So here's a revelation of this type and shadow. The sinful nature is described as being what? A veil. It's in darkness. To be in darkness, right? A hard and sensitive heart, separation from God, ignorance to the things of God, right? Stephen used it this way when he preached to the scribes and the Pharisees in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in the heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. So an uncircumcised heart is a heart that is no longer veiled. Or or, or an uncircumcised heart is a heart that is veiled. 
It's covered and not sensitive to the things of God. Right? A circumcised heart has been taken out from the darkness and is now in the light. It's a heart that is sensitive to the things of God. Circumcision is a great analogy to what the Holy Spirit did in us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. But it's pretty funny, too. To believe the circumcision of the flesh could, could or would reconnect itself would be foolish. So, too, is the idea that our old sinful nature can reconnect to our, us after it has been circumcised in Christ. Can you imagine, you're, it's, you get up in the morning, alarm goes off, you're up a little late the night before, you got sleep in your eyes, you get out of bed, you're stumbling to the restroom, you get to the restroom, you're standing there, swaying a little bit, you, the night lights can't really see too good, so you flip on the light. And as you get ready to go, you look down and you go, Whoa! Something's different here. I was circumcised, but now I'm uncircumcised. What happened? How did this happen? Can you ever imagine that happening? Again, don't get mad at me. God is the one that, did, that put this in the Bible. Can you ever imagine your circumcision becoming uncircumcision? Do you ever have to worry about that surprise in the morning? No, you don't ever have to worry about that because it's never, ever, ever going to happen. It's just as foolish. It's just as foolish to think that after you've been in Christ, baptized in Christ, circumcised from your old sinful nature, that all of a sudden your old sinful nature is going to come back and reattach to you. As crazy and ludicrous as it is for you to, the uncircumcised in your flesh, or the circumcised in your flesh to become uncircumcision, so it is that that has been circumcised in Christ, cut off from the old sinful nature, would ever be reattached to that old sinful nature again. That is good news. That is awesome. That is a reason. That's why they call it the gospel. It's so good. It's amazing to think that God has forever freed us from that old sinful nature. And we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is, this is good. And it's funny. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, part B, it says, In which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God. Who, how were you raised up with him in him? By what you do? No, by the working of God who raised him from the dead. At the cross, your old self died. You died. You're dead. And it was buried in that tomb. Jesus took that old, corrupt, circumcised away, sinful nature of Adam. And he took it to hell. And he left it there. 
and he left it there. And then God, the whole humanity was in, in Christ, and God raised you up in Christ. And when he raised you up in Christ, it was with his nature. His nature. Look at this amazing scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Do you know what the answer to, to sexism, you know what the answer to of racism is? The gospel. Because we're not supposed to see anybody according to the flesh. We see them in Christ Jesus. And you know what? That's even sinners. That's even unbelievers. You need to see them in Christ Jesus. Maybe if you treat them like a brother or sister in Christ, maybe they'd want what you have. Because at one time, we, they just thought Christ was another guy. They knew Christ in the flesh, right? Christ, he got hungry, right? He got tired. They didn't have um, Old Spice back then, so he, he stunk. He had B.O. I mean, I know we don't like talking about this, but Christ was a man. He was a human just like you and I was. God married himself to humanity. And this is where people really get mad, but Jesus used the bathroom. God used the bathroom. He was just like us. And he married us to him. And at one time, they knew Christ that way. But then when he resurrected, they realized that his identity was much more than just the flesh. And you need to see yourself that you are resurrected with him. And who you are is so much more than what you see in the mirror. Because when you start seeing yourself of who you are in Christ... What you see in the mirror will change, I guarantee it. Therefore, therefore what? Since we don't look each other in the look look at each other in the flesh anymore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have come become new. The amplified puts it this way. Consequently, from now on, we esteem and regard no one from a purely human standpoint point of view, in terms of natural standards of value. No, we, even though we once did esteem Christ from a human viewpoint and as a man, yet now we have such knowledge of him that we no know him no longer in terms of the flesh. Therefore, if any person is engrafted, that's at baptism, we are engrafted into Christ the Messiah. He is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. It's been cut off. It's been circumcised. It's dead. It's in hell where it belongs. Behold, a fresh and new has come. The Phyllis translation puts it this way. 
This means that our knowledge of men can no longer be based on their outward lives. Indeed, even though we knew Christ as a man, we did not know him like we don't know him like that any longer. For if a man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. The New Living Translation puts it this way. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Do you see how most have failed to believe the good news of the gospel? When we talk about our old self... Or we talk about, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace. Lord, have mercy on me. We show our ignorance to the finished work of Jesus Christ and who we are in him. We have no idea of our identity. You do not have two natures. You do not have two natures. The believer has the very nature of God alone. It's hard to believe, ain't it? That's why it takes faith. It takes faith. So what are the old things? What are the old things spoken of that have passed away? Is it our physical body? No, I mean, I still got a physical body here. That's still the same. It hasn't gone anywhere, right? Is it our minds? No, I still have my mind, even though some people think I'm crazy. But I still have my mind. And I actually, because of living separate from Christ for so long, I have things that, a way of thinking, a way of living, um, habits and ruts that are easy to fall back into, and I need to renew, are these familiar terms, renew my mind to who I am in Christ. I have to renew my mind into the realities of Christ. I have to renew my mind into the identity of who I am in Christ Jesus. See, that's still the same. The old things that have passed away is your old self that was dead to God because of the sinful nature. It died with Christ. Then God resurrected you by raising you up with Christ as a completely new creation with a new nature. You have new want-tos. You have a soft heart that has, that the callous has been removed. You know, he taken the stony heart out and put a heart of flesh. He's written his, his, his ways and his laws on your heart. You, ha- you want to do good. The reason why you're asked the question, will I ever be free from sin, is because you have that nature in you that wants to get out. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 and 2. And you. He's talking to you. And you. 
he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit who now walks in the sons of disobedience. Why are they disobedient? Because they haven't awakened to the reality of Jesus Christ. The Amplified Version puts it this way. And you he made alive when you were dead, slain by your trespasses and sins, in which at one time you walked habitually. You were following the course and the fashion of this world. We're under the sway and the tendencies of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air. You were obedient to the to and under the control of the demon spirit that still continually works in the sons of disobedience. The careless and the, the rebellious and the unbelieving. The unbelieving. Who go against the purposes of God. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to give dead people life. He has come to give you life. Colossians 2.13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. There's that word all again. All. Past, present, and future. They all have been forgiven. And that old sinful nature has been circumcised away. You are a new creation in him. And we have received life. The Amplified puts it this way. And you who were dead in trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh your sensuality, your sinful carnal nature, God brought to life together with Christ, having freely forgiven all your transgressions. Freely, I love that. Freely and all are wonderful phrases in the gospel. But do you believe it? The old fallen and sinful, the old fallen and sinful nature has been cut Away, the body of sin and death has been removed forever, and you are a new creation brought into the fullness of life in Christ Jesus. You're no longer sinners, but saints, translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You were once blind, but now you see, and it's all been done by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, this is a warm-up. Like I said, this is the gospel straight. This is the truth. You are set free. You're no longer a slave to sin. Stop believing that lie. You're a saint. You're not a sinner. You have the, you have the very nature of God within you. You're a new creation. That old man has been crucified. Or he was crucified with Christ. He was buried in the grave. And he was left there. And you rose to new life in Christ Jesus.
And we will continue to look at our true identity in the next couple weeks here. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for our victorious King Jesus Christ. We thank you that he conquered sin, death, and the grave. He conquered what we could not conquer. He bore the penalty of sin. He took everything that hell could throw at him and came out victorious on the other side. And he didn't come alone. He came with the whole cloud of witnesses. The, the church, the body of Christ came out of that grave with him. I came out of that grave with him. Everyone sitting here this morning come out of that grave with him. And we are no longer, as so wonderfully said earlier today, we are no longer property of the enemy, but we're property of the king. We're property of Jesus Christ. We're property of our Abba, our Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. We've been baptized, submerged into you, Lord, and we've been set free. Help us to see that. Convict us of our righteousness, of who we are in Christ Jesus. Convict us of this new creation. Convict us of our sainthood, of our holiness, of, of the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Holy Spirit, be that convicting teacher that convicts us, convicts us of our new identity. We've already learned that you do not convict us of sin. <laughs> How can you convict us of sin when all of our sins have been forever forgiven? How can you convict us of our sins when we no longer even have a sinful nature? You convict us of who we are in Christ. You lead us and guide us in all truth. You lead us and guide us into the ways of righteousness. You show us who we are. You give us a mirror, and, and we look inside, and we see Jesus, and we see us in him. Father, because of time, I'll shut up. But you're awesome. You are awesome. You are awesome. The beautiful imagery, the beautiful imagery and the humor, Lord, that you put in this covenant. You are amazing. No way could this ever be put together by men. The wisdom is just too amazing. We love you. We celebrate you. And we walk out of this building today as the body of Christ freed forever from sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Have an awesome, awesome, awesome week and walk in victory. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved highly favored and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.